0: We are in the book of Acts, chapter 14, and it's fortuitous because really what this story is about, it's about evangelism, and we are all called to evangelize. Today, Paul and his companions move to a new town. Once again, we see the types of responses that they get. They get a joyous response, a jealous response, and today we're going to add confused and divided to that list. As I said, today's scriptures are also a good allegory and metaphor of types of evangelism, so watch for it. We're going to start with the first four verses of Acts 14, and then move on. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. Amen. Hmm. I love the way it says in verse 1, They spoke in such a way a great number believed. (laughs) You could have put that as an epitaph on Billy Graham's tombstone. Amen. I would imagine they had many successes and failures through their travels. You know, first Peter and his companions went and evangelized, then Paul and his are now. So they would have learned some things. If you want listening to this, we could call it a recipe. Maybe they figured out how to present the gospel to these folks. Of course, it was never foolproof. Verse 4 says, the people were divided. And not just divided... But we're going to see some were joyful, some were jealous, some were confused, and some were even violent. And this is the response we can expect even today when the gospel is heard. Amen? Mm-hmm. Let me read to you a passage out of Luke 12 that tells us that we should not be surprised when we witness or evangelize and get these responses. It's a story where Jesus is speaking of what his ministry will bring on earth. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 12 and 49. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, division From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Amen. Wow. That's not a typical verse you hear when somebody's out evangelizing for the sake of Jesus Christ, is it? Hey, come on, get to know Jesus. We're going to split your house up. No, you don't hear that one a lot. What we want to hear is we want to speak of love and unity like Romans 5.8 where it says God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now you might be asking, how can Jesus speak of love in one breath and dividing a family in the next? Because it's not contradictory. I'm willing to believe that more than 60% of those who are here today Or in a family or a relationship in which we are estranged or divided in some way within the family. Yet we have chosen to still love that person, have we not? Fathers and mothers, perhaps you have an estranged son or daughter. One who is divided from you. Many times that division is the one spoken of right here. I would go so far to say, if there was no division in your life, When you accepted Jesus Christ from either your friends or your family, you need to check your walk. Because he says, there will be division. We are to come out from among them. I was speaking with a person a while back and he was explaining how he was trying to walk with Christ, but his girlfriend just couldn't understand what it was he was doing. It made no sense to her. She says, well, you know, can't you just ask for forgiveness? Let's just go on. He's like, no, that's not how it works. It's like some of those who are spoken here. Second Corinthians tells us, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Mm. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Amen? I was speaking to a married lady whose husband is not yet saved, and she was running into the same issue says, he, like those we read about, don't want to hear. Why? Same reason. The God of this age has blinded the mind of the unbeliever. But the married person, unlike the single person, does not have the right to walk away. 1 Peter 3 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even some who do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see you respectful and pure conduct with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight, is very precious. Amen. Evangelism by the walk. Again, that's why we should choose our words carefully when we're evangelizing so, so as not to point to ourselves, but to point to Christ. Back in Corinthians again, he says, God said, let light shine out of the darkness. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a perfect example right there today, visually. Take that vision that we saw today of Aubrey as she walked up here before and after, and see that light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. Evangelism to actions rather than words can often overcome the divide. But when evangelizing, there are some times we just must move on. Verse five. When attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews. "...with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel." Amen to that. Paul and his companions recognized a legitimate threat to their own safety, and so they moved on. They didn't allow the threats of the mob to dissuade them from preaching the truth. Rather, they went looking for a more amenable audience, amen? You're not going to beat somebody over the head with the Word of God. You don't save anybody. The Holy Spirit does that, amen? Now I'm going to read down from verses 8 to 18, where we see evangelism as well, but through works of the Spirit. And here, that work becomes a point of great confusion. It says, verse 8, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet, He was crippled from birth, never walked. He listened to Paul. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted their voices and saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now listen to this. In past generations, it says, verse 16, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful in, fruit in season, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. Amen. There's always a group of people who will not be satisfied, even with knowing the truth, unless they can apply it to their vision or version of the truth. That's what we see here. They had witnessed a miracle, these folks had, But they wouldn't accept the miracle unless they could apply the maker of the miracle to their belief system. They had chosen what their absolute was, and they couldn't be moved from it. Paul and Barnabas were clear. Hey, look, we're not gods. We're mere mortals. But there were some who this would not satisfy because they had made up their minds. So we see the confusion that could also come from evangelism. These folks were big God believers. They had lots of gods. They loved to sacrifice, pray, go to temples. They believed. They believed there was a God, and they hoped there was a God that would interact in their lives, but they didn't know who the real God was. And they were not willing to accept a God who was not God-like enough. A God that didn't fit their mold They were only interested in a God that lives on the outside and not the inside. Amen? That's tough stuff. C.S. Lewis writes, It's not a frightening truth that the free will of a bad man can resist the will of God. For he has, after a faction, restricted his own omnipotence by the very fact of creating a free creature. And we read that the Lord was not able to do miracles in some places because people's faith was waiting. People's faith was waiting, wanting. So God allows us to have a free will. God allows men to do evil things. Verse 16 says, In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Here we see examples of a God allowing us and people to go off on our own path and choose whether that choice is right or wrong. I read a snippet in the news of this uh, boy's testimony who shot and killed four classmates in 2021 in Michigan. In his little diary there, he proclaimed, There is no God. I am a demon. I'm going to open fire on everyone in the hallway, he wrote. Now, months later in jail, when he was caught, he cried out, Why didn't you stop me, God? Why didn't you stop it when it happened? I'm sorry, God. We talked about the will of God a couple of weeks ago and how he has ordained will that will come about, but he also has a preferred will that he wants for all of us, but his permissive will that he allows us to make the choices that we make. Verse 16 and 17 says he allowed the nations to walk in their ways even though they could clearly see his presence. This young man, he, he was so confused. He said there is no God, that he claimed to be a demon, and then afterwards he said, God, why didn't you stop this? How many times have we wondered the same thing? How many times have we not said the same thing? Why did God allow this to happen? We live in a fallen world. It says the God of this age. That would not be our Lord. That would be the Lord of darkness who he has given this world over to until Jesus Christ comes back. Amen? We are like foreign soldiers in occupied, enemy-occupied territory. Put that together with God's word in 2 Corinthians. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. You can see these words of Scripture played out in this boy's litany. So what is our role in this? We exchanged the word, if we exchanged the word nation for family, could say God allowed the family to walk in their ways, even though he gave evidence of his presence. In this boy's case, his parents sort of let him, they said, self-supervise. And that was done in front of violent video games from the age of six. They just, well, he's not bothering me, he's in there playing video games. And they gave him more, and they gave him more, and they gave him more. And this was the result. Was there any work or time spent trying to see who Jesus was? How much time do we spend in our families getting them to see who Jesus is? Are we pointing out God to our children, our nephews, our cousins? Hmm. If we know, as we've been told today through Scripture, that these children have no context to understand the light of Jesus, how much good will it do to tell them Jesus died for you? Just as we said earlier, we must choose our words for our audience knowing that they're in darkness. When we start school and they started you in math, everybody remember math class? Did they start you with algebra? Mm-mm. I'm actually managed to graduate high school without algebra. I took every math class there was but algebra. But they don't, right? They start you with very basic math. It wasn't until my senior year I finally had a math teacher that got it. Man, she clicked. When, when it clicked, it all clicked. Then I wanted to know everything there was about math. That's the way it is when we're evangelizing to others. We have to have a starting point, and that starting point has to be at the level of the person we are speaking to. Okay. Psalms 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night it reveals His knowledge. Sue Monk Kidd writes in uh, Today's Christian Woman, One August night, my children dragged me to the backyard to watch a meteor shower. I reluctantly joined them, thinking I have so many details to tend to before we leave on vacation. I don't have time for this idleness. Suddenly, golden fireballs streaked across the blackness. God made this, I whispered to myself. It was a rare moment. Not because of the sight, but because I stepped beyond my familiar world into one of wonder and discovered the Creator in the midst of it. Could it be God filled the world with such beauty to lift people like me away from our obsession with details, to touch our lives with a magnificent awareness of himself? I would say yes. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. George McDonald's writes, something is wrong with the man to whom the sunrise is not a divine glory for therein is embodied the truth, the simplicity and the might of the maker. Alongside the gentle meaning of earth and sky, the great burst of a new morning the sword affairs of mammon sink to the bottom of things have, have a little more interest. How many times have you taken the time to enjoy a sunrise or a sunset? Now, all of us here in Florida have at least seen one or the other multiple times, correct? Has anyone ever been to the Florida Keys? What do you have to do in the morning? You have to get up and see the sunrise, right? And what do you do in the evening? You go on the other side of the island to do what? See the sunset. That's right. And these are the kind of things, these are teaching moments, okay? that we can get people to start thinking about a divine creator. Nature is a great place to bring God into the conversation no matter what the age of the person you're talking to. We can see examples in nature that show how actions and bad actions result in consequences. It takes no time at all. It only takes for us to see a squirrel and another squirrel steal its nut. Amen? And here... All you got to go to any body of water, and sooner or later, you will see seagulls getting into it with other seagulls, wouldn't you? Those are teaching moments good and bad, evil and God. We look and we see the unmistakable mark of an intelligent creator. But there's spiritual training and importance that we can do as well. Thessalonians says, Always pray. And rejoice without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Continuously steadfast in prayer. Being watchful in thanksgiving. Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Amen. How important is that one? to pray and to model prayer. It is the weapon we can use against the darkness, against the influence of evil. The boy's comments, "God, why did you not stop this?" The odds are he may never had said that or needed to say that if he was taught to pray so that he might not give in to temptation, so that the powers of the spiritual powers of this world that God called to help us all could have come into play. But I often hear, well, I don't know how to pray. Romans 8.26. Take nothing else away today. We're going to end with this. Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those are our responsibilities to involve ourselves in and teach others about to point out nature, where God is in nature, to live a life that shows where God lives, to speak in such a way that gives glory to God, and to pray so that others may see the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this word today. Father, we thank you for starting us out in such a wonderful way, worshipful way, Lord, with music and a baptism. Father, sharing this word, this holy word, Lord, that gives us courage and encourages us. Father, help us not to forget to do our part. Pray for others. Lord, just lift our voices. Speak to you, Lord. If we don't, we're just beginning to learn to pray, Lord. All we have to do is be driving along in our car and start a conversation with you, Lord. And begin to lift others up in prayer. Those children who now are going to school, there's going to be in amongst them this year some just like this boy who are so confused lord no one has spent the time speaking with him showing him you teaching him about the love of christ father let us pray for those children lord that they might be protected from the darkness and those who teach our children that they too might be protected in jesus christ's name the church said amen amen